Where are you going? Check he. Just gonna let me move, I guess. Should. Can you see the little deal moving? Well, hello, checkity check, check, check. Chords, chords are done. There we go. All right. Hopefully, I don't bump into anything. Trip or something. Got the blues. So, Faith, do I mean, yeah. do you want to take everybody downstairs? Or are you doing it, Gil? Oh, okay. No, 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 it's it, whatever, whatever works. I just didn't want any, I, di I didn't know you were doing it. That's where you were going. Eden, children, you can go. You look beautiful today. <laughs> huh? <laughs> day. All right. Let's see how this goes. Everything's been all awkward and strange today. Everything's fighting against me. So we'll see. I think I got something good to say. But you know, you're going to, I'm not going to do the thing. So you're you got it. You got it. You got this. You got this. I'm gonna pray again, because that's what works. Lord, I thank you again and again and again. I say it every time I start every prayer, but I thank you for who you are. I thank you that your kingdom comes and your will is done when we ask. Lord, I thank you that through it all, you're always there. I thank you that through it all, every step that we take, you're always there, Lord. Even when it doesn't seem like it's going right. Even when it doesn't feel good, you're still there. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that even in the midst of all the things that have been going on trying to bring me down. Lord, I pray that you would lift me up right now. I come before you in, with my puny little punk mind and ask you that you would just bless my words. That you would let wisdom come from my mouth. I just thank you for that. Amen. All right. Let's turn. I'm going to just start off with Scripture right away. Philippians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. If not, it'll be up top. I'm reading out of the Passion because it works the best for my brain. All right, here we go. So this is Paul, and he's saying, My passion is to be consumed with him. And not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose, or I might even say the promise, 
that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have this same passion. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. And let us all advance together to reach this victory prize following one path with one passion. Amen? That's a good word. That's a good, good word. Paul says in there, I don't remember what verse it is, but he says, I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. See, there's this interesting thing. It's this cool thing of who God is. It's the paradox of the king. See, Christ died so that we could live. And now we set out on this journey to live like Christ died. That's a wacky, mixed-up, upside-down world, right? But that's the world of the king. Nothing works normal. Nothing works the way that we think it's supposed to work because we serve this king who lives in a paradox. See, I say I want to live like Christ died because Jesus, when he was going to the cross, he didn't go to the cross full of fear. See, I feel like I've always thought this, but maybe it's because I'm a family guy. Maybe it's because I'm emotional about the people around me. But when he was crying and weeping and asking God to not, if, it's, if it can be anybody else, if there's any other way, and he's, he's sweating blood because he's crying so intensely. I don't know that he was crying out of fear. I believe he was crying because he didn't want to leave his boys. He wanted to stay with those guys because he was building them up and they were changing the world, but he knew it was his time. But he didn't go to the cross in fear and everything that it seems like all the things that we do in life, we do out of fear. But I want to live like Christ died. See, he, cried, he, cried, he died so that we could live. He didn't go angry, blaming everybody else. He didn't carry his cross blaming everybody. He didn't bash his own character while he was going to the cross. While he was carrying it on his shoulders, he didn't say, oh man, I wish I would have done this better. I wish I could have done that better. No, he was going like a man on a mission with eyes fixed on the goal because he knew where it ended. And that's where we're all at. We have this thing. We know where it ends because we have a hope. We have a hope of glory. Even when it feels like it's all crushing and crashing on Around us, we have a hope for glory. Because he was walking to that cross with heaven in mind. With you in mind. See, I want to start living from heaven towards earth. Instead of living from earth towards heaven. It's kind of like. See, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we're seated, that we're co-seated with Christ in heavenly places. And I, I pray a lot. It's what I've spent many, many, many hours over the last couple, you know, decade and a half, I guess, doing, just praying. I don't know why it's the, the gift and the burden of the intercessor that God put on me, but I I'm realizing over the last year or two that I'm really growing tired of praying to God. I'm really just kind of tired of praying to him. I want to start praying because, see, I'm seated with him in heavenly places, right? I'm seated right now. It says right now. It says we are now co-seated with him in heavenly places. We're co-seated with Jesus in heaven, enthroned in heaven right now, right here, right now, because we're welcomed into his family. When he died, that's what happened. It's a weird, mixed-up, crazy world, right? 
But right now I'm co-seated with him, and I'm tired of praying to God. It's time for us to start praying from our seat in the heavenly places and start praying with God. I know a lot of us probably do that already. You ask the Lord, what should I pray for today? And then you press on. But then you pray it back to him. Well, God, this, instead of us praying for wholeness, instead of us speaking life into the universe, speaking life into the world that he gave us. See, he gave us power and authority here on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he left us here and he said, I'm sending you one, the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you this one, this Holy Spirit to live in you, to strengthen you, to empower you, to walk out the ways that I've taught you, the things that I've given you. one got me fired up, so I apologize if I'm elevated in volume, but it's just going to be the way it goes. If you need to stand up and clap, it's all good. We are in the north, but we can act like those in the south. See? (laughs) See, it's this weird thing. It's one of the great paradoxes of serving this king that we're called kings and priests, given dominion over the earth. Because, see, that's, that's what happened, right? He gave us dominion over the earth. Adam gave it away. Jesus took it back. Now we have it again. A lot of times we live like we don't have that. But it's time to start living like we have dominion. Because there's an interesting thing. It's the paradox of living from death to life. See, we're continuously carrying our crosses until death on earth, while we're simultaneously living from our heavenly thrones. We're in a relationship with the God of paradoxes, the king of paradoxes, and it's really cool. I know I say this stuff a lot, but you got to get it. See, we serve the alpha and the omega. We serve the beginning and the end. See, these things don't go together, right? You can't be the beginning and the end at the same time, can you? But he can. See, we're chasing after the one who's new every single morning, yet the word says stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the unchanging one who's new every morning. Okay. We're in love with the one who broke eternity to give us time. See, time isn't real. (laughs) Okay? It's not real. Heaven's real. We're in eternity. So right now, we're there, right? Because it doesn't work, but your brain can't handle that. But it's all good. But we, it's there. It's real. Sit and think about it for a few hours. You still won't figure it out. Because he broke eternity to give us time, which then he gave us the sun and the moon so that our brains could handle it. Then he gave us night and day. He gave us mountains and he gave us valleys because every single thing that he gave us points to him. It all points to him. You point to him. I got a little side note for you that'll trip you out right here. You point to him. See, we're always so concerned because, oh, the, the, the devil got me down today. The devil's doing this to me. He's doing that to me. There's a reason why. You remember, you remember why he got kicked out? He was the most beautiful thing in heaven. That's what the Bible tells us about him. He was the most beautiful thing other than God himself. He was the one who was beautiful. And he said, I want to be like God. He said, I want to be like God. And so God said, nah. Threw him out. Threw him onto a little rock floating in the sky. And then here's the fun part. This is what he did with that rock floating in the sky. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, or day five. Gave us trees, rivers, mountains, all these things that point to him. All these things that point to him. And the devil's going, what's going on? Why is this happening? I don't understand this. This is all pointing to him. He's, all, he's making heaven again. He's recreating heaven again on earth. Is he doing this to torment me? Is this my hell? Not yet, because day six came. Because, see, we sit here and we say that the devil's placed here to torment us. Wrong. 
100% wrong. You, being made in the image of God that you were made in, you were placed here on earth to give that guy hell. You were placed here in the image of God, shining, being bright, being beautiful. The one thing that he wanted was to be like God, so he put us here in front of him to shine in his face. Don't let it torment you anymore. Don't let the devil get you down, man. Don't let it happen anymore. It's not about him. It's about him. It's about the king, and it's about you walking it out and talking it out and living this dream that he's given us. Everything he gave us points to him. And as I say, you, you're made in the image of God. You might be in the back of your head, because that's what I do every time. Somebody says, oh, you're, you're awesome, man. All I do is say, nah, I did this, I did that. This happened, that happened. That one thing, there was that time or this. Just this morning, I was rude to my kid. Like, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no good. No, not me. Stop saying I'm cool. But here's the cool about, the, the, the neat thing about the, the God of paradox, the, the king of the alpha, the omega, the king who came lowly. He also gave us David, who went from murderous adulterer to the man after God's own heart. And then he gave us Paul, who the first time that we hear about him is holding garments a bunch of murderers as they stone Stephen to death because he believed in Jesus. That's where we meet Paul, holding a bunch of coats for a bunch of guys who are doing the work of the devil. But he took that guy and holding coats and holding the very gospel in his heart. went from holding coats to holding the kingdom. I thought this was kind of interesting. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever took your laundry out and you didn't have your basket? You got like, you got all, but you know, you can't go, two trips is not going to happen. You know what I'm saying? There's no way I'm taking two trips with this. So you're walking like this, you know, trying to figure out where there is. Because you can't see, right? Can't see. I got clothes everywhere. And I was thinking many of us don't see our full potential because we see ourselves as still holding all those coats, all those things that I just mentioned. Oh, I did this. I did that. It's a coat. I'm holding it's like it's like my, my luggage. It's my, my 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 laundry that I'm holding up. I'm holding this all this stuff. I can't even see the light. And that's why it takes God to break in. Like that's what Paul's walking around blind. He's walking around blind, but he can see, right? But he's blind. And then on the road to Damascus, boom. Now he's really blind, but now he really sees. See that? Another paradox. Didn't even make that one on my paper. That's cool. That's who God is, man. It's like every time, every turn you make, there he is doing something wildly interesting that doesn't make any sense. That's just the way it goes. It's crazy. And this made me think of something soon. We're talking about David. We're talking about Paul. And I, we're talking, this is the year of promise. It's the year of promise. And I started thinking, one of the cool stories of the Bible is Joseph. Who had a promise. See, Joseph, when he's about 17 years old, this is going to break, this is going to break you. Like, I don't think we see stuff. Just wait. Just wait, because we read these stories, and they don't make sense to us. Because it's like, oh, whatever, you know, it's like it's an old thing. Yeah, it happened. I get Joseph had a coat, right? Coat of many colors. Okay, what does that mean for me? Enough, I don't know. Is it a goofy? He's got a goofy coat. He's, like, he's got looking all pretty, you know. And he's walking around with the blessing of the father. He's got the blessing of his father over his other brothers because they didn't get one, Right? That's pretty clear, and he makes it pretty clear because every time that you read about him up to this point after he gets it and until what was about to happen, he's wearing a coat. Wearing his coat, he walks up to his brothers, 
because God gives them promise in a dream, in multiple dreams. Remember, I'm not going to sit here and read them because, I mean, most of us know them. But he had a dream that the sheaves of wheat were bowing down to his sheaf of wheat, right? And it, it uh, represented his brother bowing down before him. 17-year-old in his shiny Gucci coat. They're all going to bow down before me. Then he has the next one with the stars and the sun and the moon, even his mom and his dad bowing down before him. Who do you think you are, man? Is what his brother said to him. So he's got the blessing of his earthly father in his coat. He's got the promise of his heavenly father in his dreams that he's going to rise at some point to a place of prominence. And he's walking around, you know, feeling pretty good about himself, I would assume. We don't hear, see, that's the, that's the tough part about the Bible. We don't hear the parts where he was actually in his room at night crying, saying, I'm not good enough. You know, all the stuff that we go through, because we act like they're not human for some reason. In our brains, we, we see Joseph or David, and we have to point out the failings of them to remember that they're bad. <laughs> Just like us, you know. Not bad, you know what I mean. So here he is. He's at the peak. He's got the blessing of his earthly father, the promise of his heavenly father. And he goes immediately from the peak to the depths, and his brothers cast him into the well. Benjamin saves him. Let's not kill him. I don't want to get blood on his coat. So here he is with a blessing and a dream. nowhere in there where it's like I'm pretty sure he's crying you know what I'm saying it doesn't say that Joseph wept <laughs> you know doesn't say that but I can almost with everything that's in me can guarantee you that he was crying that he was feeling like what is going on why is this happening to me why is this my life I had my coat I had the blessing of my father. I had the promise of my, my king. Why is this happening to me? But then they came back. I was thinking about that part. He had to hear the horses, right? Or the camels. I don't know what they're riding, honestly. But whatever they came back on, he heard them coming. He was left there to die, and he heard them coming. So what do you think happened? Maybe they changed their mind. Hope springs back up into them. Maybe this is it. Maybe they, maybe they realize their ways. Maybe they realize I'm not so bad. And I'm not trying to be mean to them. I'm just trying to tell them what I saw. Maybe they realize that. He would have heard them stop. He would have heard them get closer. He would have heard their voices, the voices of his brothers talking. And as maybe as they got closer, he might have started to hear the actual things they were saying. We're going to sell them into slavery. We're going to get some money off of this deal. Benjamin doesn't want to kill him. Let's sell him. Let's make a deal out of it. So immediately, as his hope has been brought up, it's crashing back down on him again. Tell me you haven't been in that place before. Where everything feels like it's terrible, and then you see some hope. And then here we are back again. That's life. As dumb as it is. And he's thinking to himself, I have a promise. I got this coat. It got a little dirty, but it doesn't change the fact that my dad gave it to me. And then just when he thought he was out, thinking about this, a lot of times we blame other people for what's going on. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes there's 100% truth that somebody did something to you. But then there's choices that we make afterwards. And I think a lot of times we sell ourselves into slavery. 
I'm about to get real with you guys, okay? But I promise not to judge you because I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told many people. Not yet, but it's coming. See, a lot of times I think we pile our coats so high, like I was talking about piling our coat, we pile them so high that we can't see the seat. And we enslave ourselves to our coats. Because I can think of times like when I, when I was younger and I started smoking. Yeah. Started smoking cigarettes. I enslaved myself to an addiction. Times that I might have, you know, times that I've looked at a woman in lust. I enslaved myself to that, to that action. And here's where it gets real. So when I was young, even know if you're supposed to talk about this in church. I don't care. I'm going to do it. So when I was young, I was probably like 10 years old, happy with life, absolutely loving church. I had recently accepted Jesus probably when I was like eight, so I'm like two years deep into just wholeheartedly believing in this thing. At any rate, when that happened, uh, 16-year-old, maybe 15, 16-year-old boy in our church tricked and manipulated me into some snare ropes. Uh, into some sexual encounters. Right? And that thing, those moments, super deep hatred for that individual that before I was 22 years old it was a good thing that I never found again because I can guarantee you with everything that's in me that I would have ended it that hatred that I enslaved myself to because I could have forgave him I have now didn't then That hatred that I had for that guy turned into a violent, violent, violent rage towards the church. Because he was part of the church to me. And that violent rage turned into a massive unforgiveness. Just flat out, don't care about any of you. And specifically towards my mom and dad. Because I chose to enslave myself into thinking that it was somehow their fault. They're the church. They're the only reason why we're here, all these different things, right? And then it turned into fear. Because what if somebody finds out? Or what if I what if I turn that way? You get what I'm saying? And then that turned into self-loathing. I started hating myself. And these are all things that I chose to enslave myself to. And I get it, man. I get it that it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I obviously understand that. And us kinder boys, we got an issue with being hard-nosed, and we, we fight through things, and we act like everybody else should be able to do it too. So I'm, I, want to, I'm, I want to say that to you because that's not the case. This took me forever. Okay? And the reason why I'm saying it to you is because I know that each and every one of you probably have something that's doing this, that you're enslaved to. You don't have to be. I don't know what it is. It's on you to figure that out. And you might not be. Good on you. I hope you're not. But see, here's the thing. Much like Joseph, I rose out of my slavery. Because what comes next in this story is when it starts getting good for a minute. And then it goes bad again, okay? I rose from my slavery to a place of prominence and authority. I lead well.
So even in my slavery, I rose to a place of authority and prominence, just like he did. In Potiphar's house, right? And it's because I refused to let my circumstances dictate my life, except for I wasn't doing it to help anybody. I was doing it and obey. Can you tell me what to do? Kind of way. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to change because that's who I am. Right? I didn't let the blessing of Father come in and change my life until, you know, later. Because, see, Joseph takes control of his slavery. And this is the part. So this, this sermon, I'm calling it the purge, and you'll find out why. It's the purge. It's becoming, it's not up there yet, but the purge becoming a part of the promise. See, that's the point of what's happening here, because you're going to find out why, and it's really cool. But, see, Joseph takes control of his slavery, and he becomes a part of the promise. Because, see, he could have just sat there, right? He could have just stayed in his slavery. He could have just you know, did his job. But he chose to become a part of the promise. He chose to step into things that brought him into a place of authority, that brought him into a place of promise. And I'm telling you that because I want you guys to start seeing the things, the promises that you've been giving, I want you to start becoming a part of them. Become a part of them. Because a lot of times, I could tell you right now, I just went through. <laughs> I hope you guys give me a couple minutes. This is I just need to go. I, I just went through a whole bunch of notes, so I, I'm a note-taking lunatic. I write everything down. I lose it. I'm telling you that because I just transferred from one, one to another all my notes. I had... I'm thousands, thousands. It took me a long time. It took me a whole week. I just transferred it for hours a day, hours, because this new software is way better than what I was using when I first started. I'm a nerd, too. I get into that stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, so I was reading. I was confronted with the fact that I don't become a part of my promise. Because I was reading note after note after note, thought after thought after thought that I had an idea on how to change this, or I had an idea on how new life could do this, or I had an idea on what I could do for the city, who I am, what I could do, what I could be, what I could see, all these different things, and all I do is just keep sitting on it. So I was confronted with a lot of my promises that I wasn't becoming a part of. Interestingly enough, while I'm writing a sermon called Become a Part of Your Promise, good for you. So, you know, just so I can just continue to feel bad about myself. No, <laughs> no but I, I want to become a part of those promises because there are things that God spoke over me. There are things that God spoke over other people. I shared some with my friends. I, had, I got words that almost everybody in this room has something that I wrote down about that I pray for. But I got to become a part of those promises. I got to do something about it. I can't just keep sitting on it. So here's Joseph. He's rising, climbing. Everything's going grand. Everything's good. He's in Potiphar's house in authority. He's in a place of leadership. And then he gets accused. Mary is accused. So now it's even worse. So he goes from the coat to the promise to the well to slavery. See, from authority and slavery to jail. Just like that. But it's not just like that. Several years. See, all this stuff keeps happening. But he continues to rise. And that's the part that I think a lot of us miss is that we continue to rise. See, we go from glory to glory. See, so when, you know, where's Gail? She said this really cool thing. So 
at one of the meetings that we were at. This is what happens. See, right? So you go from glory, right? And then you go to glory, right? And you might fall down. You might get enslaved into something, right? But you don't get enslaved to back here because you already made this point. You get that? So you get enslaved. You're enslaved wherever you are in that glory. You're enslaved in that that moment of your life. You get that? And then then you break out of that and you rise up again. And then you rise up again. You, a lot of times what we think is that when we make a mistake that we made 20 years ago, if I, if you know, a thought comes into my mind or, you know, somebody cuts me off and I want to go punch them in their face, you know, right? That doesn't mean that I'm that guy anymore. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that I'm the guy that will get out of my car and punch you in the face. Because I was, but I'm not anymore. See, I've gone from glory to glory to glory. But what I do is I say, I think, man, I would want to punch that guy's face in right now. And then I think that I'm that guy again. Not. Doesn't work that way. Glory to glory to glory. That guy's dead too, by the way. That guy is dead. And it's good for all of us. Trust me. So then he's in, he's in prison, and guess what he does again? He becomes a part of the promise again. He becomes a part of what God told him. He steps into his goals and his mission, and he does the dream interpretation, and then boom, here he is sitting at the right hand of the Pharaoh because he stepped into his promise. 22 years later, he got the coat, 22 years later after the dream, that's when they show up. Because, see, we're always about time. I super am about time. I want it right now. You said this, do it, right? I want it right now. That's just the way it goes. But sometimes i got to wait 22 years. You don't like it, but that's just what it is. And in Psalm 105, 19, this is, this is, and I like this part. Psalm 105, verse 19 in the, tra- uh, the Passion Translation. This is how it says it. God's promise to Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dream to come true. See, if you read that in, in right now, all of them say something along the lines of, until the promise tested Joseph. He tested him. And I don't like that. I get it. Those guys are smarter than me that translate the Bible. But what we do with the word is what I'm talking about. I don't like what we do with the word tested. Because then we think, oh, well, God, God's testing me. God's testing me. This is why I'm, this is why everything's falling apart right now. Because God's testing me. See, all this weight that we put on these two, these two things, the devil that I mentioned earlier, he's here to torment me. Nah, you're here to torment him. And then God God does test us, but it's not the way that we hear it. See, it's the way that this passion, if I could have had this many years ago, man, it would have changed my life a little bit. See, he purged his character, because what purge means is to rid someone or something of an unwanted quality, condition, or feeling. See, he purged his character. He built him into the man that he needed to be to stand at the right hand of the Pharaoh. He he couldn't have done it as a 17-year-old boy who's full of pride running to his brothers telling him, you're going to bow to me one day. You're going to bow to me one day. Wearing his Gucci coat, walking around all proud. No, he had to be enslaved. Had to be. Maybe that's not the right word, but you get my point. Because God can work, obviously, with anything and anybody. But the fact is that Joseph needed purging. And God used his scenarios in life. He didn't destine him to be enslaved. God didn't give birth, you know, God didn't birth Joseph into the earth to be a slave or to be in prison. He birthed him into the earth to change everything. And I mean change everything, because guess what? You know what happened? 360 years later, Joshua got to step into the promise of Joseph. Because guess what? Joseph's dad, they showed up in Egypt, 
one family, one family, 12 brothers, and however many that is of kids, they showed up in, in, in Egypt and became a kingdom. And 360 years later, because Joseph stepped into his promise that my brothers are going to bow before me, when he kept stepping into his promise and became the right hand of the Pharaoh, and his brothers came and they took the food and they started those 300 something bad happened to him because that's what happens right but there's 360 years because one guy said i'm going to do it so i'm telling you right now you have generations that are coming after you 360 years from now something that you say something that you do is going to change their life forever i promise you that that's how this king works so when you feel like your life is simple squash that when you feel like you're not good enough, crush that under your feet because you have value. You have purpose. You have kingdom in you. When you call Christ king, everything changes. So you got to become a part of the promise. Remember, I talked about being addicted. I talked about lust, hatred, unforgiveness, fear, self-loathing. If you want to break those bonds, I brought some heavy ones with you today because I wanted you to feel like it's all right. I brought some heavy stuff because I wanted you to know that you're going to be okay. I don't know why I'm yelling that at you. You're going to, you're going <laughs> to, I care so deeply about you guys. You have no idea. This is, this is who I am. Love me. But <laughs> I do, I care like, I care wildly about you guys might not show it the way that you think I should, but I do. But if we want to break the bonds of addiction in our life, we have to stop acting like we're not addicted, and we have to become a part of the promise. If you want to break the bonds of lust, you have to stop acting like you don't, because that's what we do in the church, is we act like there's nothing wrong, which is another reason why I brought some of my fire with me. I brought some of the stuff that I had to work out. I worked it all out with Jesus and with friends. That's the way this thing works. We don't find peace immediately. In some areas of your life, you might find peace immediately. But there's some things that are going to hold on. If you want to break the bonds of hatred that you have towards somebody, you've got to stop pretending like you're not hating them. If you want to break the bonds of unforgiveness, you have to stop acting like everything's okay want to break the bonds of fear, you guys are getting this, right? If you want to break the bonds of fear, you got to stop acting like you're not afraid and just come in your weakness. Help. Help is such a simple word. And I got to be real with you for a second. If you think there's nothing wrong with you, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that the bonds of pride would be broken in your life. Well, I'm not saying that as a joke. I mean, that's for real. If you think that there's nothing wrong with you, then you got that's a big problem. And trust me, I've been there. So what I'm saying is let God purge your character until your promises come true. Even if even if it's twenty two years later. God purge your character until it's time for your dream to come true. And as far as our dreams are concerned, let's stop being selfish with it. Let's stop being selfish with our dreams. We're storm machines at it. I don't care a lot of things that I've got in my life. I know I say stuff like this all the time and I'm not a jerk, but this is a glory moment, right? This is one of my glory moments. I want to share some I do have a couple more things, though. But they'll be fast. 
because it just goes along with what a God favorite did. You know, Joseph's dreams became Joshua's seed of approval, like I said. And that was 350 years later. The promise that was given to Abraham. That's a bunch of years now. You understand why it's way more than 350 years. But the promise that was given to Abraham was walked out because people were obedient So it's really time for us to start being persistent in our asking and persistent in our action. That's what New Life has been about in 2019. This year's promise to me is being persistent, stepping into things. Because see, we've had a healing service every single Wednesday night. Some of that might be because Pastor Terry is who Pastor Terry is. But it's also because it's who New Life is. Persistent. We take action. Even when there's nobody here to pray for, we still persist. And that hasn't actually happened very often. There's been one, maybe two, since January. The first week of January. There's probably only one or two nights where somebody didn't walk in. And we got complete strangers walking in. We got people that we know but don't come here walking in. Many people have come in here and experienced a healing hand of God because of persistence and because we're taking action. And I was thinking about this. This is I, I, a movie book called The Black Mama. You guys know who Kobe Bryant is? Most everybody knows. Three greatest basketball players of all time. I'm not going to get into that argument right now, but he's one of the three greatest. So there's that. I'm not going to tell you which one I think he is. But his workouts and his care for his body became legendary in the NBA. What this guy did, nobody had done it before him, and I don't know that anybody still does what he does, the way that he cared for his body way that he'd think, like there's just wild stuff, because you think, oh, he's a basketball player or whatever, he just plays basketball. This dude was sitting watching Discovery Channel one night and watching a cheetah chase after an animal that was getting ready to kill it, and they, the guy was telling him that, you know, the, the host or whatever was telling him that the cheetah uses his tail to keep it balanced while it's speeding to racing after the thing, right? So he uses its tail. Well, Kobe wasn't happy with his, his fadeaways, so he thought, I'm going to use my legs to keep my balance. So now when you watch Kobe fade away, and now everybody that's come since him fade away, one leg is up in the air because it helps him balance it. So we all fade like this now when we shoot with a leg up because it keeps the balance ball in the air because he saw a cheetah running. That's the kind of mind, I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell you. The guy had a unique mind, has a unique mind. One time, they're, they're in their championship run, one of their championship runs. I don't remember which one it was. Kobe twists his ankle real, real bad. And this is a guy who knows the details of his body, by the way. The guy is super detailed in how he intricately thinks about his body. Twists his ankle. I don't know if I'm going to be able to play. He gets the care that he needs that night, and he knows the only way that we're going to win is if I'm here. So they had a two-day break between games. So he gets his ankle taped. He does all these things. He's, he's got a person, his tape lady, and his she's apparently a mastermind also because they sit and think about this stuff. Anyway, so he gets he figures out the way that he likes it taped. He figures out ways that he can move. He spends all night in the gym on the first day. He spends all night in the gym just working, moving, finding out what he can do, what he can't do. This is the drive of a champion. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the persistence that we need. So he's sitting there. He does this. He figures out what he's capable of doing, and then he finds out what he can't do, 
and he's getting ready to play in a game, and this is what he said about it. This is how he, this is, again, the mind of a champion. I had to, even on one ankle, keep the advantage in my court and never let the defense force me to do something I didn't want to do. So he learned, and one day he learned what he can and can't do, and then he played the next coming game in such a way that he forced them to defend him in a certain way so that he didn't hurt himself more or again. That's wild. That's persistence. That's the kind of thing. I understand he's a champion, and not everybody's going to think like that, but we can glean from this guy, and we can take it into our own lives. You feel me? Like, you get that? Like, we can take this and put it into our own pursuit of Christ. I'm not, you know, I think of addicts. They're not... This is super, super general, but they're not going to go into the bar because they got an issue at the bar. It's the same thing. I'm not going to go into where they can't, or I can't defend myself. I'm not going to move where I can't, I can't move the certain way that I need to move. There's areas in our lives where we can do that. You got to figure out your ways, figure out what makes you move, figure out which way you can go, how high you can jump, how fast you can run, how far you can run, and then take that. And then do what you're built to do because that's who God made you. Matthew chapter 7 verse 8 says, For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. I like, I like, I went to the Amplified for this one because this is cool, right? Check this out. This made it simple for me. Normally the passion makes it simple. I get persistence, but this is even easier. See, for everyone who keeps on asking, simple. Whoever keeps on asking, receives. And he who keeps on seeking, finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, it will be open. That simplifies it for us. If you're not getting what you want, or you're not getting what you, you see, the promises that God gave you, maybe not once, because our wants aren't always right, but you get, you know, you got promises. You got things spoken over your life. You got things that you know that you're designed to do. And it might not be happening right now. Keep asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It will be open. That's the Bible. Can't change it. Keep persisting. Amen? Y'all fired up? You believe it? Lord, I pray for these people in Jesus' name. I thank you for who.